another one prep. Another part of the lunar cycle. We come together to practice. Learning to bring up mindfulness. Follow the in and out breathing. And cultivating the factors of the past. It's because we're dedicated or committed to cultivating the past. The Buddha was uh, somebody who had a revolutionary effect on the world. And prior to the arising of the Buddha, people tended to put their belief, their faith in external forces, deities, God or gods, or even uh, taking refuge in physical things like mountains, or trees, rivers. <coughs> the Buddha pointed out we should take refuge in our own actions and our potential to cultivate wisdom, insight into the true nature of existence by developing our own minds through the practice. Coming to understand the Four Noble Truths through our experience. So when he gave his first teaching, as we know, he pointed out the main dangers for human beings as they let their minds wander astray from the path to either the extreme of Kama-sukhani-kana-yoka, sense indulgence, atakilamatani-yoka, attachment to uh, pain or painful ways, neither of which Attachment to sensuality and sense indulgence, or attachment to the self, what they call self-mortification, or extreme asceticism, neither of which will bring liberation to the mind, neither of which lies on the path. The path is the way of developing a continuity of effort to bring up mindfulness and then developing wise reflection leading to insight. So the Buddha, as he taught meditation, reminded us to set aside this habit of delighting in the world or experiencing aversion for the world. So the middle way is developing this place in the middle the detached knowing that we made it as we develop through meditation. Knowing 
our body, our mind, knowing the experiences we have in an unbiased, detached way, neither letting the mind slip to the right into delighting in attaching and seeking for sense gratification, or slipping to the left, attaching to pain, painful experiences with aversion, and developing this place in the middle, and knowing phenomena, knowing our experience as it is, without letting the mind add on or proliferate around that experience. This is the Majjhima Patipata and the Eightfold Path that we're developing. As we meditate, you'll see the ten tendency is to keep slipping into one or the other, reacting with aversion or attraction, seeking pleasure, trying to get away from pain. As we bring up effort in the practice, we're strengthening the qualities of mind, our indriya, sata, viriya, sati, samadhi, panya, strengthening the qualities of mind so we can observe and know phenomena, know experience as it is. This is what we aspire to, this is what we give value to, the mind that remains with detached awareness but is able to contemplate, contemplate well, develop wisdom through wise reflection that is in a, without bias, not caught into grasping at experience and then reacting with aversion or attraction. This is the way of practice we call the practice of heedfulness in the Lord Buddha's last, very last instructions to the bhikkhus. So all sankharas, all conditions are impermanent. So perfect yourselves with heedfulness, apamada. Learn to keep bringing up effort to develop this ability to settle the mind, maintain mindfulness, and then reflect on experience. As the majority of people in the world keep falling into heed heedlessness and always indulging, not having enough mindfulness, not having enough clarity of insight to see the truth of things. So the bhikkhu is one is dedicated to developing clarity of insight. This is our purpose for our ordination and why we're here and developing this skill, developing mindfulness, developing wisdom. The wisdom the Buddha pointed out can only arise when the mind is clear enough, steady enough to see the true nature of experience. As we practice, we're learning to 
to do that, learning to become steady, calm in our daily lives, calm enough with a continu continuity of mindfulness so that we can reflect well, reflect clearly on what's going on. <coughs> Learning to see the impermanent nature of this world so that it no longer deludes us, tricks us, so that craving is no longer arising, leading to attachment, leading to more ignorance and delusion, which feeds more craving in a cycle by which suffering arises in our mind. We're learning to break that by bringing up mindfulness, using the tools and the skills and the the ways of practice of the Eightfold Path, so that the mind becomes clear enough to see truth, see the Dhamma all the time. It's no longer caught out, caught into expecting there to be some happiness or some experience that will sort out all our problems where it can't happen. We're not caught into false expectations, false hopes, understanding the limitations of the sensual realm that we live in. The limitations of forms, sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, ideas, memories that come up in the mind. Having enough mindfulness and enough insight to know this is the way things are. They arise and they cease. They're temporary. We start to experience more <coughs> happiness from that knowledge and that understanding rather than always chasing sense objects, sense experiences. As we meditate, it's learning to be more patient with the conditions of our own mind, the different moods and thoughts that come up investigating them a little bit more deeply rather than just always reacting to them. If we have some pain or discomfort in our meditation, learning to meditate on that, bring mindfulness to it, observe it for what it is. Pain is one sensation arising, passing away. Not letting it condition the mind, falling, not allowing the mind to fall into aversion, irritation. But just knowing that it's like this. When we sit for a long time, some pain will come up. We've only eaten a little bit of food or haven't eaten for a while, we feel hunger. When the weather changes, we feel very hot, sweaty. Changes again, we feel cold. When we have memories come up about our past, things we enjoy, things we did in the past that we like. It's just that, it's just a memory arising, passing away. We know why we enjoyed whatever the experience was, but if we establish mindfulness, the mind doesn't get caught into longing for and clinging to the memories and perceptions about past events. How limited memory can be anyway. You, know, you only remember little bits and memories change and fade over time. 
we tend to remember the things we like, the things we didn't like, we tend to forget. <coughs> we tend to remember extremes, extreme happiness, extreme suffering. A lot of mundane memories we just let go easily, naturally, because they don't seem to have left much of an impression on the mind. Expectations about the future, same. Planning, hoping for different things in the future, even to do with our own meditation and practice. Meditating, proliferating about getting enlightened, gaining samadhi, gaining some better situation for practice, gaining this, getting that. Again, developing the ability just to pull the mind back to the present moment and see that habit always slipping off to the future, to the past. It's quite possible to create a state of anxiety or anger, some form of suffering, just making some kind of story up about what might happen in the future. something that hasn't happened yet and might never happen but already we're suffering in our own mind at this moment during our meditation because we're allowing the mind to proliferate and get caught up in its moods we haven't developed enough mindfulness at that moment and mindfulness is a quality we're always correct to bring up mindfulness. It's always, the purpose of our effort is always to bring up mindfulness. We can't have too much of it. Because with mindfulness we get enough steadiness, clarity that then we can see things as they are. As time goes on, say we're coming to the end, end of the Vasa, the weather's changing, people's schedules and what they're doing changing. And you just reflect maybe the end of the Vasa, maybe you won't even reach the end of the Vasa. Sometimes people die in the Vasa, bhikkhus die in the Vasa. We don't know what lies ahead for us, any of us. We don't know how long we'll live, what our state of health will be like next month, next year. The future is unknown. You use this as a skillful means to bring up heed heedfulness. So every moment, every day becomes more valuable, more important. Sometimes we get the news, people we know, they've unexpectedly passed away. Maybe we didn't even think of them until we got the news that they died. That could be us. The Buddha died, enlightened arahants die, everyone dies. That's the one thing we can be sure of as we reflect, as we're struggling to bring up more 
effort in the practice. They get up in the morning early to meditate, stay up late meditating. You reflect, this could be the last day, the last night of your life. Sooner or later it will be the last day, last night. When we're deluded, we sort of have a sense that things will just go on like they are, so we can keep following distraction, can keep following and indulging our moods. If we can't be bothered, then we become more lazy, too lazy to meditate, too lazy to perform certain duties, chores, chanting, whatever. When moods take over and we become deluded, the senses are oh, just carry on, doesn't matter. So you use these reflections to cut through that. Maranandu Sati, really reflect on death. Death comes to us. It will come for us for sure. Doesn't escape, any, nobody can escape from it. When we die, maybe our opportunity to practice is gone. In the end, we're the ones who have to do the practice. Nobody can do it for us. All our suffering, all our problems have to be solved within our own hearts and minds, through our own efforts. We can't do it through willpower, just wishing, wishing that problems, suffering will go away, wishing desires and attachments will go away. Be nice if we could do it like that, just through willpower or having someone else kind of wash our mind, brainwash us or just clean the mind so it all just disappears. But practice is more like just working through your karma so as stuff comes up, establishing mindfulness and reflecting on it. the only way to purify the mind, to f liberate ourselves from suffering, bring up that continuity of mindfulness over and over again in all postures, through our day, keep coming back to the present moment, keep cutting through the delusions that keep forming quite naturally. In the end, this, because we're the ones who have to do the practice for ourselves, and we're the ones who will experience the results. So we have to be responsible for our state of mind, this quality of equanimity in the mind that is in the middle, supported by mindfulness, supported by insight not falling into attraction or aversion. You know, that's a personal experience. 
other people won't know necessarily where our mind's at. Maybe somebody who's very advanced in the practice might have a sense, but it's a personal thing. We have to be clear and honest with ourselves how much equanimity do we experience? How much does the mind keep falling into states of delusion, states of aversion and attraction? We can use, even though time is passing on, passing by all the time, we can use it to take stock of our practice. Like you can reflect back over the last few months of the Vasa, you think, how has your mind been? How much uh, doubt? has come up about your practice, why you're doing it, what your aims are, how many different kinds of kilesas have conditioned your mind over this last few months. You're still getting caught into aversion, aversion for other bhikkhus, aversion towards yourself. How much lust has been coming up seeking distraction, seeking pleasure through fantasizing, how much do we react to things that are going on around us, our opinions and views about the way we are, about the way the monastery is, what we like, what we don't like. Reflect back and just see what kind of things have been coming out over the last few months. Maybe there's good things. Maybe you can reflect back and notice that certain more extreme mind states that you've experienced in the past, maybe they're not coming up so much anymore. Maybe the roots are there, but the, the manifestation of the, those kilesis is maybe not as extreme, not so, much, so troublesome, not so bothersome as before. That's something to feel good about. It's the result of the practice. We get more used to the vinaya, to the training, more used to the place, more used to the techniques. So the mind settles down. We have less doubt, less extreme modes, maybe a little bit more contentment. And we can notice that if you reflect back over the last few months. Or you may notice particular strong defilements coming up that weren't coming up before, and you say, well, last year I didn't have this problem, now it's a problem. That may still be a useful thing, a useful insight. Maybe it's a sign that you're going deeper into your own karmic conditioning in a way that you've cleared away some more superficial causes of suffering now, some deeper causes of suffering are coming up that you have to address. If you're patient enough and willing to look at them, maybe that's a good thing. You can refer to, it can be in reference to any 
of our experiences. We could be more content with the requisites than we were before. Or maybe the requisites are bringing up more suffering than before. More content to live a simple life or more discontent. Every aspect of our practice is a place where we can contemplate, reflect on our own attachments, aversion and attraction, requisites, other people, our own views, our own state of mind. Little by little we keep practicing, you keep on bringing up the effort for sure, then good results will come. But we are the ones who have to keep doing it. We are the ones who practice with heedfulness. Other people can support us in that. And we get support from the Sangha, from our teachers. But then we are the, we are the ones who have to use this, the supporting conditions, and internalize them teach ourselves, bring up our own efforts in the practice. So I'll just leave you with these words of reflection tonight and we can carry on practicing as usual till time for chanting, 11.30. <laughs>